This week's episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands is brought to you by Blood, Sweat and Beers. Guys, it's next weekend. It's so goddamn close. I can taste it on the tip of my tongue. What do we got? What do we got? We got Luca goddamn Brazi. You're welcome. We got Clowns. We got motherfucking Grenadiers all the way from Adelaide with one of the best albums of the year. We got the Gifties all the way from Brisbane. We've got the legendary Tire Swans. You've got Jamie Hay, Darren Gibson, and Donny Duro playing all of their hits and more. You've got Bagster back in the game. You've got Corpus, The Hard Eggs, and Hannah Band, two of the cutest duos in music history. You've got Hostile Objects. You've got Tigers. No lions and bears, unfortunately, but we'll work on that for next year. We got dividers in the place. Burners are going to be heating things up. Acoustic people. We got Nathan Six. He's built like a truck and he sounds like Bruce Springsteen. He's awesome. We got Laura Martin. She's got a song about how her love is stronger than Goldberg. That's the fucking coolest thing in the world. You got Spencer Scott, aka Scotty, aka Schooner, aka a scooter, the man of a thousand nicknames, four chords, and a million broken hearts. You got the brothers nude. Andy and Gavin McDougal up to their usual hijinks. Sarah Marie Marriott, future guest of the show. There's going to be an ice cream stand with all these hectic flavors. you got a record store. Pete uh, Disc is going to be there with some records, so go buy some shit off him. Whole thing is being hosted uh, by Cameron Tyson from Pedestrian TV, who's a fucking legend in his own right. There's going to be punk rock karaoke at the end of the night. There'll be food trucks set up. Your day is set. It's literally set out for you, waiting for you to consume it. What the hell are you waiting for? Buy a ticket right now. You can get them from factorytheatre.com.au. Kickoff is at 2.30. It's Blood, Sweat and Beers number 8. I will see you there. Enjoy the show. Folks, David James Young here. Welcome back to all my friends are in bar bands. Gonna make this super quick. Go see Tiger's Jaw this weekend, wherever you are. If uh, Sydney sold out, Newcastle has tickets left. So does Sunday afternoon at uh, Red Rattler and Monday night at Rad Bar in Wollongong. Uh, Jacob and Mowgli are playing that show, who are awesome. Sunday night is being supported, or Sunday Arvo rather, is being supported by Laps and Sweater Season, who are both fucking awesome. And that's all I gotta say about that. Oh, and tomorrow night, come see this lady fronting this band. We're talking about Karina Utomo and High Motherfucking Tension. This show is going to be off chops. Narrowlands are playing, Massive Bicep are playing, and Mere Women are playing. Are you kidding me? What an impossibly good lineup full of kick-ass people doing kick-ass things. And when it comes to doing kick-ass things, few do it better than Karina. 
I was really, really stoked to get her on the podcast. I think this is one of the best episodes and best conversations that I've ever had with any human in general. Not just for this podcast, not just as a music journalist. I loved talking to Karina. I always love talking to Karina, but this is one of the best conversations I've ever had. Not to talk it up, but fuck it, I'm talking it up. Karina Utomo is a national treasure. You're going to love this episode. Hit it. Hi everyone, I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in Bardance. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Karina Utomo. G'day. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? <laughs> I'm just well, thank you. We are, uh, we're huddled up in the, in the back of the van, in the middle of a King Parrot tour, which High Attention are a part of. Been going quite well from all reports. I've seen some uh, pretty hectic photos from the whole dealio. It's yeah. been really good. It's been really, really good. I actually was quite scared because we this is perhaps our um first um tour where we've had to drive oh really yeah <laughs> and and you know it's it's so had great. to put the private jet away for a couple of days <laughs> we're so lazy we we don't you know we don't tend to play that much especially compared to a band like king parrot yeah it's been amazing because obviously it's hard for us to play even like in canberra let alone you know places like warnable yeah where yeah. we can't get more than eight people to one of those countries <laughs> you know like those smaller towns so yeah. so it's good to have king parrot take us under their wing <laughs> i'm sure they would appreciate that <laughs> yeah no no but honestly like i actually said that statement by accident without realizing it was a bit of a dad joke <laughs> i can only imagine the dad jokes are just rampant on this uh, it's very hard to compare with matt and damien's humor oh sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> you'll lose that battle You'll yeah. lose that battle. No, definitely. <laughs> but but in all, all honesty, the first time we played with King Parrot was back in 2013. And they've been so kind to us. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's been really, really nice to be able to play shows with them and basically like reaping the rewards of their hard work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we met for the first time in December of 2012. Wow, you've got an amazing memory. Yeah, it's, it's an autism thing. I know. I, That's I can't, amazing. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> I can even tell you the date. It was December 28th, 2012. Oh, carnival. It was. You guys were opening for carnival. It was my first time seeing you guys play, I think. That was actually our second show as a band. Ever? Ever. Holy shit. Yeah. So how how on earth do you end up on a show like that in, in, in your second show ever? I actually don't really know. Basically, the intention with this band um, was basically... <laughs> Just roaring through the dad jokes. <laughs> and they um, don't stop. Well, you know, Damien has been playing drums and doing all sorts of great shit, really contributing since God knows when. I've, I actually met Damien when I was 18, Yeah, you know, living in Canberra, and he was bringing out all of the Hessian bands to Canberra yes. and putting out all this incredible stuff through building records. Mm-hmm. And Matt, 
I knew from The Nation Blue. I wanted to have this band for so long, but it was about finding the right people. And it was really actually quite handy because Matt is such a legend and he lived like a couple of blocks from me as well. Mm. And Ash and I, we've known each other since high school. Our very first band was this like really shit, like actually shitty, shitty, shit (laughs) punk band. We'd all agreed that we wanted to do this for fun. Yeah. You know, we we didn't want to have to play Tuesday night show to to no one and just just do things that we're going to like go being playing music shit. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many ways to approach something new. So I guess like after we released our first single and you know like as an in- introduction we were really lucky that people responded well to that and it just kind of opened up new opportunities and when we had the opportunity to open for Carnival, we were just like, fuck, we don't even have a set. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, so we just kind of made it work somehow. <laughs> I actually probably didn't have any lyrics for most of the song, so a lot of it was gibberish. And at the beginning, this was the first time that I tried this different type of hardcore style or whatever. Right. And I was quite naive to think, oh, I don't even need lyrics for this. I can just, like, wing it. Yeah, you can just do whatever the fuck, yeah. But it's, you know, that changed very quickly because, you know, it was just... It's so stressful, like, to be... Oh, yeah. If you don't don't have any lyrics. But somehow, for this couple of shows, it managed to only have a few lines. way through shows of Carnival. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I think it's pretty fair to say that you have a relatively different background to most of the people that I've spoken to on this podcast. Yeah, I'm interested in what got you interested in playing music. Was it something you saw on TV or heard on the radio? Or was it, like, friends showing you stuff? I was born in Indonesia and I had very, very limited... I was born in 1984 and I didn't move to Australia until 1992 when I was eight years old. Right, yeah. So in terms of access to music from the rest of the world, it was very, very limited. I lived in Australia from 1992 until 1997 and then I moved back for high school. And that was... Yeah, so that was pretty intense because I had experienced living in Australia and having this real sense of freedom that people tend to take for granted, I think. And that's things as simple like getting on public transport, going to the library, getting a driver's license. Like all of those things are very, very hard in a place like Jakarta. I think during that time, so this was obviously before social media, it was really hard to find music the heavier bands that you could get at the cassette stores were yeah. were corn or limp biscuit you know yeah yeah and my brother actually he when he was 12 he just like started playing drums and he was in the school drum band and he had a cover band that he played in with some of his friends from high school. It was actually just a new metal cover band. It was wow. hilarious. Oh man. Anyway, so that was like just to illustrate some of the the limited exposure. And then I moved back to Canberra in 2000. And so you moved to Canberra originally. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so we've always I've always lived in Canberra when I um, lived in Australia. Mm. Again, in Canberra, it is probably the same. You're very like yeah. limited in terms of exposure to to bands actually playing in Canberra and yeah. I actually owe so much well, to yeah, Damien. Yeah. Especially when you're a kid, too. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, you're a bit too young to see pod people, aren't you? <laughs> I did see pod people at the Rock Ape. Respect. Probably, yeah. Nice. And actually, I'll, I have, a, you know, I've got a few things to say about the Rock Ape as well. I actually 
probably didn't go to my first show until I was old enough, you know, because it yeah, was right. it was so, so limited. Like eighteen or yeah, until really? eighteen. Yeah. I remember like quite clearly, you know, when I was just like, "Fuck, this is so awesome!" And it was seeing um, Four Dead. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. So if you speak to any kid from Canberra around that era of, you know, 2002, Ford Ed was such a massive influence on me, I think. You almost didn't know it was possible. It was like, I think it just created this sense of, this is what it's like to have no fear. Like, mm. John from Ford Ed, he's, he is that. Yeah. He is that person with no fear. You want to yeah. get out of his way. And being able to have that influence over people, it was just really... It was just a really positive thing that they were doing. It was sick. Yeah. It was really sick. Having people like Damien come through Canberra and bringing bands like Love Like Electrocution. Oh, I remember sure. buying like a Vitals EP. Um, oh, sure, yeah. From like a show in Belconnen. I actually left my year 10, no, year 12 formal early so I could go to see Four Dead play at some like place in... Belconnen. No shit. And I was still in my formal dress. It was just like, <laughs> you know, like it yeah, that's was awesome. It was such yeah. a it was such a great time of my life. And I was dating the guitarist from Brisk. He was like my best friend. We had we had such a great relationship. He introduced me to so many great bands. Fuck, what is there? What else is there to do in Canberra? Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> so so it was it was really good. And I think after that era, I was one of my main goals was basically I really would like to learn how to sing like that. Right, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Growing up in those like relatively musically isolated communities like Canberra and Jakarta and going back and forth between the two, did that kind of make you want to seek it out more? The fact that it was, you know, so yeah. difficult to, like to crack beneath the surface and like really dig into this super underground sort of stuff? Definitely. I think it was like the I think the intimidation factor was a real it was a bit yuck in terms like but it was also like fuck I've got to do it now like I've just got to give it a go also during that time mid 2000s or whatever a lot of Indonesian like young Indonesian kids started using Friendster and MySpace sure yeah so when I went back on holidays one year I just made heaps of friends through Friendster on the internet and and then in real life they would like invite me out to see these shows and before because I was only like in high school back in 1997 or whatever my Sunday because you you go to school Monday to Saturday. Mm. I would play video games on Saturday night and then on Sunday I might go go to the mall and see a movie and that was my teenage, my three... It was so sterile and just like shit but when I went back and found I, I had I made a couple of new friends and they actually introduced me to this scene that I d- actually didn't know existed I feel like Jakarta is such an intense place it's like every time I go back it's like peeling an onion and you just reveal sure, yeah. a new layer and more it's and really more, yeah. it's really dark and intense but at the same time it's there's a lot of really strong energy happening and people are just constantly trying to express themselves and it's almost like when you're in a place where you can't do something or you're limited you just want to try harder yeah you know it's just so much more desirable to actually contribute and Mm. do something going back to indonesia that holiday i ended up staying for ages because i would just go to shows under the mandarin oriental hotel in the basement in a car park and everything's so diy it's it's actually really amazing a bit 
like concerning from an OHS perspective. Yeah. But there's a band that I really love in Jakarta called Seringai, um, and they're one of the biggest thrash bands in Jakarta now. They like have I don't know eight hundred thousand likes on Facebook and wow. the, the singer does a lot in in terms of contributing to that scene he'll put on like local metal shows and you know 6,000 kids will just Holy come to the show and that's just shit. a local thing but there's yeah. 20 million people in Jakarta yeah, so yeah, sure. you know these things are just like it's, it's all possible yeah it's unreal yeah it's really cool the energy is amazing yeah wow so yeah. what is it what is the first band come into play when when do you start performing I started performing in college we had this pop punk band in year 10 I found out that Ash, who is the guitarist in High Tension now, yeah. played guitar. Out of the whole year, he was like the only person. The only person. one, really, yeah. But he's actually freakishly genius. Um, I think he was one of the youngest people to receive a um, piano scholarship in Adelaide. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I think he was like seven or something. But he's 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 fucking genius. It's really bizarre. Um, anyway, and then we started, like, writing songs together, and we would, like, just use my, like, radio cassette to, like, record and, and give it a go and stuff. (laughs) And then, um, I think we took a class called Contemporary Music. (laughs) And we'd perform at lunchtime at the Quadrangle. Just the two of you? No, we had an actual band. Yeah, Um, right. Yeah, we had a, and I started playing guitar as well, like, that was when I was, st- I was also playing guitar. So there was two guitars and a bass and drums and I was singing too. Um, and I think after one show, the other guys were like, Hey man, I reckon you should just concentrate on singing. Cause I was so bad at guitar. Oh, you, you, could, you could multitask or were you just really shitty? I don't know. I don't know. But you know, I was just like, okay, you're probably right. Whatever. <laughs> it was pretty hectic, actually, having to think. I don't know how some musicians do it because you have to think about like, is uh, is all your equipment working? And, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's pretty full on. <laughs> but anyway, what kind of stuff were you playing? Like, what kind of pop punk? Right. Yeah. Like, are we talking like Green Day, Sum Forty One, Blink One Eighty Two sort of stuff? I did go to a Sum Forty One show. Oh, nice. Back in or are we the day. talking more like you know, like Newfound Glory? That no, sort of stuff. no, no, no. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like. Yeah, pop punk shit. Yeah, right. I think we had a song called Kill Your Ex-Girlfriend or something. <laughs> I don't know, it was pretty, like, sure, it was pretty silly. That was so funny because, like, looking back, we were so bad. Like, we were, we were shit. But mm. we, we practiced and we tried really hard and, and we would try and play at venues around camera and we had this really shitty demo with the, like, um, the goodies font. Oh, that's outstanding. <laughs> It was so silly, but it was just like fuck. You've got to start somewhere. Of course like, you do. Yeah. Everyone's got to be shit. No one's gonna wake up and just be fucking rad. No, of course. So and you know we really owe it to some of the venue, the the bookers for like reggae from the Rock Eight. So the Rock Eight was this venue in Dixon above a squash court, and it was run by this guy called Reggae. Not his real name, I'm a shit reggae. Yeah, but he was this awesome metalhead, and they'd just be like, I don't know, just. Met, like pretty serious metal dudes that would be you know his regular patrons right and he actually gave us a chance and let us you know let us play a show on like a Wednesday night or whatever mm. I remember one night someone said oh that last song that you played was amazing but the rest of the set was pretty shit 
And I think the last song that we played was the Smashing Pumpkins cover. So, <laughs> so I was like, wow. But, you know, we <laughs> was did... Was that with Young and Rassos? No, this was the first band. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, look... If I had listened to all the negative comments, I reckon I would have just not been in a band because that was pretty... We were pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) But you just got to keep trying. No, of course you do. Of course you do. So so where does it go from there? After that band, obviously that was just a college thing. And then Ash actually moved to Adelaide for a couple of years. And when he came back, he decided to move back to Canberra and we went to see Sonic Youth together. Um, in Canberra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Played with Jay Mascus. Um, oh, it was a, what su- a bill. yeah. It was such a magical night, and I think after that night we were just like, oh, why aren't we playing music? Um, <laughs> Where was that? Like A and U or something? Yeah, at A and U bar. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was pretty magical. I think I was just like, hey, I actually really want to play in a, you know, a slightly heavier band. Right, These are yeah. my ideas, and we just started playing music again. I remember I was working at this store in, you know. While I was at uni, I was um, working at this store in the city and I would just meet lots of local people. And, I, and Canberra is so small, you meet people all the time, obviously, sure, when yeah. you go to the same shows and shit. There used to be this like full-on punk punk dude with a mohawk that just moved from Seattle and that was oh, um, Ross Paxman, our bass player. Ah. So I was just like, hey dude, do you want to like have a jam? Like, give it a go. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was it was pretty funny. So, yeah, so we did that, and I just got my brother to join the band because, you know, he had his experience in his uh, new metal cover band. So. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Got to bring some of that cool well, energy. he still had the double kick Iron Cobra. Um, and nice. we, we had a few, yeah. We Those had, things co- used to cost a fucking fortune back in the day. Dude. But, like, you know, without being biased, my brother is such a talented drummer. He doesn't drum anymore. But it was really good, to actually, also to to have a sibling in the band. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's how how Young and Restless started. I guess the thing that people remember most about that band was that 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 was where you really kind of found your voice. You know, that was if if you were trying to describe the band, you know, you just like it's it's the Banshee. You know, it's that fucking. Rah! <laughs> you know, like that's how people remembered those songs on Triple J. It's just like, I want to hear that song with the oh, screaming chick, you know, like where, how do you find a voice like that? Especially, you know, is it, especially when you come from that kind of, you know, pop punk scene or whatever, do you just like watch videos on YouTube? Just like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. Or just like, do you just try and find it naturally? Like, how do you find your voice like that? Oh my god, I don't even know. I rem- I just remember going to like heaps of heaps of those kind of heaps of hardcore shows in Canberra and looking at like trying to mimic like the the movement and the expression and and I guess it's like because you're trying so hard and you're using that whole body to project the noise. And it's also a lot of like it's a lot of muscle memory as well, and I remember the first the first show we did where I tried to do that that like <laughs> sorry not that that that's not what I imagined it would sound like, <laughs> and it was shit. It sounded so much better in my head. Yeah, and and it's just like you know what you just have to keep. I just kept trying. I just try. Like we would practice and. Like, at practice, I would just, you know, that was my opportunity to basically try and 
try and do it and and when the music if the music is really loud then you can't really hear how shit the vocals are so right, yeah. yeah it was just honestly it was just like mimicking and giving it a go but then after a while it's like you you know what your body can do um and you know where you can like push you know push your voice to 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 do certain things i guess yeah right yeah. so do you remember the first young and wrestler show i do Ooh, I do. This, okay. I remember. Set the scene. I remember actually, we didn't have a name, and I really regret that that was the name. Really? But it was a bit of an homage to my mum. So we moved to Australia because my dad received a scholarship to finish his doctorate at ANU, mm. and my mum was. It was the first time when my mum wasn't working, and she just focused on the household, on the family, mm. and you know, for months she was watching lots of sitcoms. The Young and the Restless was one of her favourites. Right. But after a few months, she was just like, fuck this, I am also going to do my doctorate. So yeah. she just went and did it, you know, right it was on. like, I'm over, you know, like, so in that sense, it was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, my mum will like the name because, you know, so it was just kind of reminiscent of that kind of feminist, fuck this. I'm going to I'm going to do what I want to do as well. Yeah. And we need okay, that's right. We needed we needed to find a name in like 2 days because there was this zine at the time in Canberra called The Fifth Column. Okay. And we were playing a show with Brisk and another band, another local band that was really really good. They needed to print an ad on the back of this zine, so we had to come up with something. Right. So <laughs> so that was the first show and it was it was really nerve-wracking. We actually had one of my friends Mark was also in in the band Mark Falkland and he was so nervous that he had his back to the audience the entire time at the time the place was called the church bar now it's called transit bar i think oh yeah 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 another place yeah, yeah right. so that was our first show and yeah. and i think everyone was just like shitting themselves mm. <laughs> and we went we were also i was like I, I felt a bit scared because i had spent you know the past year year or like months or whatever going to these kind of shows and i was just like am i going to embarrass myself like what are these people going to think like that i'm yeah. i'm trying you know where that this new like a bunch of kids are sort of giving like trying to fit into this heavy scene basically cuz it was like in canberra it was it was like you were either an indie band yeah or played in a hardcore band. And so, you guys you guys were very much a bridge of that for like for a while at least, you know. I think that was the intention. Like I think hardcore is really catchy. Like I'm really riff driven. That's such an accessible part. Mm. Like riffs are such an important part and such an accessible part of any any genre like whether it's heavy or, you know, riffs and hooks basically. So I just wanted to make like fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it definitely got a response you know like they got massive like nationwide coverage and you know you guys were finding like all these new fans like even yeah, people like weird. people like Adelita you know speaking your praises and stuff like that it must have been so bizarre like at that at that peak of you know like exposure and like doing all these triple j things and getting played on tv and we just like how the fuck did this happen? We're like the Pretty weird, much. we're the we're the we're the weird band in Canberra, you know. We're we're yeah. doubling down on the weirdness. You know? It was it no, it was like it was amazing because I felt everyone in the band was so different. We we couldn't agree on one thing, you know, but we just sure. kind of made it work. And 
like looking back, it was I I didn't realize how much pressure we had as a band, and we did have so many great opportunities and. You know, we got to do a lot of incredible shit. Yeah, but at the time, uh, we were just like, oh, we've got to do this now. Okay, let's do it. Let's yeah. do the best that we can do. You don't really think about it at the time. It's yeah. just It's just another thing. <laughs> yeah. I think the highlight, though, was when we entered the Sawyer Award yeah. and Nick Launay was one of the judges mm, mm. and you got a mentorship with him and he handpicked us from Bridezilla and, oh my God, I totally forgot the name of the other band that had um, Kieran J. Callanan in it. Oh, oh, Mercy Arms. Yeah. Yeah, shit, and that takes that, me back. That was, that was, I felt at the time, that was real competition. Sure, yeah. Um, so I was really humbled that we were in that company and to have a person like Nick Lorne go, yep, your band, your band deserves this. So that was incredible. And just, even just like being on the phone to him for a couple of times. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> like freaking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I remember. I was trying to. Um, I was telling him about the Nick Cave exhibition, and you know, obviously he worked with Nick Cave. And yeah, yeah. All these other incredible people. I just felt like this is so weird. It is. <laughs> you just try and take it all in. And it's just like, all right, all right. Don't be weird. Don't be. Weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that band was oh, like a, a pretty big deal for for a long while. But at at what point did you? kind of feel like things had run their course like I, I don't even remember there being like a big like young wrestler split up or anything like that it was, yeah. it, was it was very much a fade away as opposed yeah. to a burnout you know yeah. what I mean it ended really abruptly and Ash unfortunately had to leave the band you know for personal reasons and it was a lot of like financial pressure I think on him at the time well like like not being able to hold down like a job because well, he's always away on tour and stuff yeah or? yeah that definitely and I think if you have financial responsibility being in a band was quite hard but ironically after he left that's when we actually started making money so so you know he just had to hang in there for a bit longer but you know ash was such an integral part of the band he you know we we've collaborated for for so long and it, it was really hard to not have him in the band i i feel like in terms of writing it was so easy to work with him because, well, one, he's a genius, and two, I felt like he could just translate my ideas into riffs, and that was really important because I felt like some of the best songs that we've written, and even now in High Tension, are the ones that he's been able to translate from, hey, I want to make a song like this, and he'll just be like, oh, like this? And then it's like, yeah, perfect. Um, cool. And then we'll have a song ready in like 20 minutes. You know, it's it's those kind of songs that are like so magic. They happen like really quickly and, um, and everyone's into it. You know, it's like going on that adrenaline or whatever. Of yeah, like, yeah. Of like, you know, not overthinking anything and just like, things coming together like magic I guess so yeah after after Ash left the band it was it was difficult we had a few other guitarists we did the album tour with someone that just played guitar for us and then it was it was a real struggle actually getting a new band member that we could write with Mark our other guitarist during our show at the Annandale he dropped some pretty heavy news on us that he was going to have a baby (laughs) so that was also meant that he his responsibilities had changed so you know and at the time we were all so young like Mm. I think I was 22 
yeah. or 23 or something like that and I think Mark was 25 yeah it, it made it made things difficult to lose like our two guitarists in such a short amount of time and when we did find a replacement guitarist unfortunately although we started writing writing new songs it just didn't work out mm. and then everyone was just kind of like this is like really intense yeah and we just felt like it was the best for everyone it was like a big like weight of our shoulders to just stop just doing it, go, it. yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, did you have any regrets about about how it all ended? Like, would you Not at would all. you really? You would have look. We tried to convince Ash to stay in the band, but if someone's made a decision, you have to really respect that. Sure. And you know, you can't force someone to do something with you. Mm. That's pretty intense. He just had to go and do his thing. Yeah. We didn't even consider trying to find someone different. I think we we were just so tainted from the experience of like things not working out with this guitarist we were pretty bent out as well i actually don't don't regret and you know we we got to have so many great experiences and i remember thinking one day that we were in a really good position in terms of how hard we've worked and how lucky we've been sometimes things don't work out and it's for a reason you know? yeah sure no yeah i get that absolutely yeah. there's there's quite a gap between you know the end of Young and Restless and yeah. the start of High Tension or yeah. like I remember asking around in like various forms and shit for ages like whatever happened to her like specifically <laughs> like did she ever do anything else or you know seriously you'll you'll love this like if 16 17 year old me knew now that I would be friends with Karina from Young and Restless uh, he would have fucking lost his fucking mind you're so lovely <laughs> oh, oh so cute I mean every word but oh, yeah no like I like were you were you at a point where you were just like fuck it I'm fucking done with this shit I'm done with music I don't want to be no, doing this no never never really? I was never done with music it was just like you know this this project is done yeah. but it was also a stepping stone to the to the to the next thing and that next thing was like i just want to play with fucking hardcore bands i just want right. to play with metal bands this is this is what i've always intended to do and young and restless i guess was like if i start a band like this i might be able to play with that band that sure. i really like yeah yeah instead of some indie band that right. I don't give a shit about or whatever. <laughs> Did you play with um, a lot of bands that you didn't give a shit about with? To, <laughs> to be honest, yes, but to be and but but then we also got to play with some really amazing bands. I've yep. got nothing against with people who you know, like I I appreciate all sorts of music, but I just, you know, lose my shit over heavy music. Yeah, and you know, yeah. you can yeah, blame that on Canberra and Four Dead. <laughs> Fucking Canberra. But that was it. I was just like Actually, the whole reason I wanted to start a band was just so I could play with other bands that I mm. like. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. And I tried for a long time to find the right people to play music with. And and Ash and I had also continued to jam. Mm. Um, just like... <laughs> but we were such a bad influence on each other. Instead of, like, you know, actually writing songs together... You know, you need all the elements. You need the drummer and you need the bass player because you need to have that bottom end and that rhythm yeah. to be able to actually create something good. Everything about how I work is organic. Like, I'm, I can't plan. Things have to be really, not textural, but everything has to be there. Otherwise, yeah. it's really hard to get an outcome. Um, an outcome that I'm happy with anyway. Yeah, so we he would come over to my house and then we'd be like, oh, should we have a coffee first? Oh, yeah, let's have some lunch first. Oh, should we go shopping? I don't know, like, 
let's go for a walk. Yeah. So just, we yeah. just never got anything done. And I was like, okay, fuck, I just need to find a bass player. Um, I feel like bass players are like the underdogs, you know, like really? they, yeah. they, there's such an important aspect of the band. I, I mean, and mm. I remember I used to see Matt Weston at the pub and we had played a couple of shows with the nation blue and I have always respected the nation blue. They're still one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Tom Lincoln sung on the young and restless record a long time ago. And they've always been so kind to us as well. Like we played some pretty fun shows with them. And I remember like, you know, seeing Matt at the gasometer just up the road from my house. And I was like, He's a cool guy that could be in the band. Yeah. Like, he might be interested. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> so I just sent him a Facebook message and was just like, oh, good day. Um, don't know if you're really doing anything music, new, but new music stuff, but um, here are some riffs that we've been working on, blah, 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 and it kind of just went from there. So that was that was like, I feel really lucky that Matt Weston wanted to be in this band. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of, then, yeah. and he's like Mr. Ideas Man, but he's not, he's one of those very rare types that he's not just all talk and doesn't do it. He'll yeah. actually make shit happen. For sure. So it's been a real blessing. Yes. <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> he, was, he was my um, mate of honor. At my wedding. Oh, that's yeah, so cute. Yeah, he's he's one he's a wonderful person. Oh. And he was the one that had the idea of getting Damien, and I was like, oh my god, does Damien even want to be in my band? <gasps> like, you know, because like I love Damien, yeah. and you know, all of the shit that he likes, I I love, and he's introduced me to so many things, and I do owe a lot to Damo. So I was just like, oh yeah, you could ask him, but. Yeah, and he wanted to be in the band. It was all like <gasps> Fan Fest 3000. Oh, that's it was so exciting. It was really it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. And I'm I'm so happy to 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 have um three of them in my life all the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when did you move to Melbourne? I moved to Melbourne just as I started Young and Restless. Right. But I got into a degree at RMIT which was really full on and at the time it was it was a design degree and I had to keep going back to Canberra. I remember like catching the train to Canberra. Oh fucking hell. To, just for band practice. And that's and, like eight hours or yeah, something. Yeah. Oh. And I would do like heaps of long drives, which was really scary because I'd been in a micro sleep accident before. Loved to have a nap. It was it was a lot of pressure because the, the time that I needed to basically get my assessment done, I had to go and do band things. Yeah. Either practice or like go to Sydney to play a show or whatever. Yeah. And I just remember I was telling the course convener about the band and like you know, this is why all my assessment is late. I'm not trying to make excuses, but this is going on. Yeah. And she was just like, don't quit the band. You can come back and study anytime. Like you've, you, you've got potential, like just come back, like don't quit the band. She basically, she basically said, don't quit the band. There you go. So I just um, deferred my degree and I haven't been back since. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. You can go back anytime. You yeah, know, the so, options are. So I think that was 2003 or 2004. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, 2003. I, I was talking to, to Aaron Osborne about this because he's a Canberra expat as well as now in Melbourne. Like, uh, it, it, there's something like, I'd say, 
half of Melbourne is people that used to live in Canberra and the other half is people who used to live in Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> probably. No one in Melbourne is really from, from Melbourne. From Melbourne, yeah. yeah. You know, then, then yeah. there's like a small section of people from Adelaide as well. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Love Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, what was, the, what was the appeal for you, like, moving to that place? Was it just like, well, I like all this kind of music and this kind of music comes from here, so was it just like the logical progression? or like? I think I think for me it wasn't... I would have stayed in Canberra, but my family is Indonesian and my family is very academic. Right. So there, there was a lot of pressure. This was my second degree too, so there was a lot of pressure for me to... Sorry, that was 2006 because my first degree was 2003. Right. So there was there was pressure for me to basically continue on with, with my studies. And, um, and this was the only degree that I wanted to do. And Mm. the best place to do it was at RMIT in Melbourne. So I just had to do it. There you go. And then, and then I've just stayed there. (laughs) (laughs) Stayed in Melbourne. yeah. Yeah. Do you get back to Canberra much now? Like, um, not more, like not enough. Yeah. Not enough. And it's interesting because the the past couple of times that I've been to Canberra and played shows has been quite different to what I remember. Like, you know, I feel, I feel like it's, it's like Canberra doesn't have a quintessential venue. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. anymore. And things are changing. But, you know, the, the show last night was pretty, like, it was pretty great turnout oh cool yeah 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 so is that it magpies last night or yeah yeah, yeah. and magpies is great because it's like the, the magpies in the city is so central yeah and it's really hard to get around in canberra mm. like and it was licensed all ages so my eight-year-old nephew could go to his first death metal show uh-huh. so that was was he excited or was I he think, i think he was just like <laughs> what the hell is going on i think it was a bit intimidated but you know Auntie Kaz is acting crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But he's seen the video clips and stuff, and he's so into it. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. That's so cute. Yeah. I remember the first punk song I played him, and his face just went punk, and he started, like, picking up change. Like, that was his first... I don't even know, like, where he got that idea from, because he had never seen any, like... He hasn't seen, like, that step-down video yeah, yeah, or anything yeah. like that. Wow. So that was his, like, first instinct was to start picking up change. Oh, that's unbelievable. So, oh. yeah, it's pretty awesome. They're breeding them well. <laughs> that's, the, that's the next generation right yeah. there. He'll be in his own band within five yeah, years. Yeah, <laughs> He's actually, yeah, he's actually um, been speaking about, like, what he wants to do. And he's, I think that, like, he just loves music. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. The the reaction to High Tension since, like, the EP and the the album and, you know, the constant touring now, like, it's, it's, it's been kind of interesting, like, just for me as someone who, like, knows the backstory of the band and, like the the people that are in it and stuff like that and, and the people are just like oh it's just like really hot really interesting new band I have no idea like where they've come from or anything it's just like they're in their 30s you know they've been around <laughs> for a while you know like this isn't their first rodeo you know like yeah. is, it, is it weird to kind of start over in, in, in that sense you know in, like in your 30s and like do something that has introduced you again to a whole bunch of people who, you know, were probably too young to see Young and Restless. I think it's better, you know, yeah, like, right. because, because I feel like we, we say no to a lot of things because we, 
we we stick to the goal and the goal is basically to only do things that we really 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 want to do yeah like we won't take shortcuts and like trying to save money here and then because we've all we all like work full time and we want to keep the ban as a really positive fun thing i guess i don't know i just i I just feel it's better that way because our intentions are is not to like oh yeah and we'll do like 50 shows yeah and um I don't know, like, make no money, but, like, it'll be great exposure. Yeah. So we're interested in doing things, like, approaching things differently, and everything that we do, we we want it to be considered. And that's in all aspects, from the song, you know, from, from a music perspective, but also, you know, what we want to be involved with and what we yeah. want to contribute to, I guess. Yeah, sure. I find this interesting, considering, you, you know, you, you guys will often find yourselves on, the, on these tours and playing these festivals and playing all these different lineups and stuff like that. And often, not only are you the only woman on the entire bill, you're often also the only person of colour. Like, have you seen a shift in, I guess, representation and, I guess, visibility in in both fronts as as you've progressed as... Like going through Young and Restless and through High Tension and stuff like that. Have you have you noticed a change at all, or is it more or less the same since when you started out? In terms of the audience and well, well both really, like audiences and performers and stuff like that. Well, I was really excited for the show on Saturday at the Corner because that was the first time that I actually saw more than five gay guys come to the show. Right, sure. And that's really important to me, obviously. You know, Ash, Ash is gay and he's in a similar position where he feels that there's not enough gay guys in the metal scene no, he- yeah. He- yeah, at all. And there probably are, but they're afraid to, I don't know, not afraid, but it's like, don't have to speak about it, whatever. Yeah. Don't but, ask, don't tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's also perfectly fine because, you know, it's... It's nobody's business but your own. But it's great to see that there is a representation there. For me, the more diversity, the better. But I've also never approached it as like, oh, well, I'm the only girl and I'm the... So I've always tried to, I guess, approach things like, I'm I'm just the same as everybody else. Like, I don't expect any sort of handicap. I don't expect anyone to treat me differently. And, then they, no, and they don't. Of course not. Like, yeah. it's, I've, never, I've never experienced... I've experienced some doozies, oh, but yeah. but nothing. The, the, the um, <laughs> you're, you're pretty good for a girl. Oh, those ones fucking kill me. Uh, not so much that, but it's like I, I remember. Never, oh, ne- oh, I never thought women could do that, but they're pretty good, eh? I think when I come across those things as well, it's it's basically, you know, t- to me, it's more endearing because it's more s- some someone really liked what they saw and they had a good experience and they need an excuse to 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 have a conversation with you or just acknowledge the fact that they really enjoyed it and I think a lot of the time it's like that's your first initial reaction I guess and I think that's perfectly normal it's like hey that wasn't what I expected is basically what they're trying to communicate but yeah I do get that. He can definitely be very backhanded. Just like, uh, thanks. Yeah. I think. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Like, I'm a girl, and you know, I'm Indonesian. So my intention has always been as well. Like, I try not to. A lot of my influences are basically dudes, and it's trying to emulate. <laughs> trying to emulate, like, what would what would be the masculine approach to this? It's yeah. there's from a like melody and 
aesthetic, stylistic point of view. Sure. Um, I feel like like men have a very very different way of approaching like riffs. Like yeah. And and girls like to show off their dynamic and um, it's it's a totally different like direction in terms of melodies, especially in heavy music. So I just want to mimic what a guy would do essentially because that's, you know, all my favorite songs have male singers, but it then just sounds different because I have a girl's voice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we'll wrap it up here. But um, before we do that, I ask this of all my guests and now it is your turn, lady. Uh, I need to know about your best and worst gig experiences as a performer ever. Feel free to start on either or. There's lots of bad ones, I think, when I was younger, for sure. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Not so much bad, but when we when Young and Restless toured Indonesia, yeah. our second show... When, when we toured Indonesia, like, just a bit of a backstory, a lot of bands are sponsored... A lot of touring bands are sponsored by tobacco companies. Right. And that's to subsidize the cost of the ticket and to put on these tours because that's a lot of money. But at least they're giving back something to the community. And before you go, tobacco selling out, whatever, think about it this way. A very bad example as well. When corn first came to Indonesia... As it always does. And my my brother loved corn. (laughs) And yes, corn is a guilty pleasure for me as well. (laughs) At the time, all of the... All of the... Corn fans were kids on the street, like right. with no, you know, no money. They couldn't afford it to to pay to go to the corn corn concert. They were buying like bootleg corn cassettes. Yeah, shit. Yeah. Because even buying an original, like by the time you convert it to rupees, that's so fucking expensive. Oh, like no, yeah, you yeah. yeah, like literally couldn't afford it, unless your parents were like upper middle class mm. and you had shitloads of pocket money. So everything that you bought was basically bootlegged when corn came to indonesia they weren't sponsored and the cost of their ticket was at the time was five hundred thousand rupees which was equivalent to my mum as a middle class public servant her entire month's wage so it was literally like you you couldn't afford to go and i remember telling my brother i was just like dude you know like these, the, the real corn fans, the real kids, like they're not going to be able to go. And he's just like, shut up, Karina, stop telling me such depressing shit. And I was like, dude, it's, it's true. So when we, when we did this tour, our, the cost to, to like come to one of our shows was either like equivalent to spending a dollar or free and you get a free pack of cigarettes. It's pretty bad, yeah. right? <laughs> I know what you're. What you're always, I know what you're thinking. Is it an all-ages show? Like, yeah, like, yeah. They're giving the cigarettes to kids. Yeah, they give the cigarettes to kids. Fuck, how it's do pre- they get away with that? It's pretty intense. But I think, look, it was a bit of a moral dilemma. But I was just like, I just remembered the corn thing, and it's like, at least the tobacco com- companies are giving something back, you know. And these kids are like, they don't like. Yes, they might try a cigarette, but a lot of the time they just like give it to someone else right sure or give yeah. it or give it to the taxi driver or yeah, give it yeah. to like whatever whoever yeah um anyway during the second show of this tour yeah they stopped this that we had to stop in the middle of our set so they could do a raffle 
for someone in the audience, and someone in the audience won a motorbike, <laughs> which was so cool. At the time, I was like, yeah, that is so cool. Someone gets to go home with a motorbike tonight. That's fucking rad. And then we had, and then, but then because we stopped mid-set, we had like, kind of like cooled down and we had to play the second half of the set and that was fucked. That was so hard. And we were just like, dude, we're not going to do that again. So Yeah, yeah that just was... wait till the end. Yeah. And I reckon the best show, the Bronx, the Bronx at Dark Mofo was a, a oh, definite yeah. highlight. And, you know, I've been a big Bronx fan. I used to drive to Sydney, like do an all nighter, like go to the show, drive from Canberra. Like I remember seeing them the first time at the Annandale. And then, like... The one they did the DVD of. Yeah, yeah. I was at that show, and I was just like, fuck! (laughs) This is so good. And I, like, came home, and I was just covered... Like, my whole... Both my arms were just blue from trying to protect myself in the pit. And um, I remember I came home, and I'd lived with five guys, and they were all having a LAN party. (laughs) So I was just like, wow... I just had the best night ever, and you guys are having a land party, and then I went to bed. Um, <laughs> I win. Yeah. Good night. Oh, I feel really good about myself. Um, and, See you, um, boys. Yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, so having, like, you know, I don't know, how many years later was that? Ten years later? Yeah, yeah. Ten years later, we got to tour with the Bronx. And actually, I would say, for High Tension, last Saturday... Supporting King Parrot was probably the best show we've ever played. It was, oh, that's amazing. It was really good. And 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 I love playing to King Parrot fans. Because they're, they're up they're, for it. They're yeah, up for they're anything, up for yeah. it. They're so up for it. And I think King Parrot don't don't have a typical metal audience because they're not typically metal. They're a bit NQR yeah. in so many Well, none of in, the bands in, on this bill such, are typically metal. Yeah, yeah, and in such a great way. Yeah. And I think it just attracts a much more discerning, yeah, intelligent music fans, really, and yeah. and really open-minded. Mm. And that's so important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there will be a new High Tension record this year? Yeah. When's it out? I think it's out on the 10th of July. Fantastic. What's it yeah. called? Bully. Bully. Fantastic. And who's that out through? We released Death Beat through Cooking Vinyl. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, just a couple of months ago, there's a, there's a part of Cooking Vinyl now called Double Cross Records. And that's, Is that's, Stu running that? Or? Yeah. 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 Oh, so fantastic. So that's, that's all the kind of heavier releases like Gallows, Cancer mm. Bats, The Bronx. Um, and now you. Yes, and High Tenno. <laughs> ah, yeah. fantastic. So that's great. Kaz, thank you so much for your time. My this pleasure. This is absolutely wonderful. Thank I really, you. really appreciate it. Sorry, you might have to edit a lot of stuff out. I kind of <laughs> yibber-yabber a bit. This, that's fine. <laughs> You're far from the word. I, I usually have to edit myself the most. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Thanks so much. You're Thanks so for welcome. having me. Absolute pleasure. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are Carly. This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.